I guess we'll wait and see what the the new testing and all reveals, if anything. Mm-hmm. But you know, the situation we're in right now is basically the situation that we were in back then, and and that's the reason the the sucker never got fully solved and closed in the first place. Yeah. You know, you've got all these people that that somebody said might have might have had motive, right? Or that somebody said, and and knowing that Laura was involved in the druggy business to some degree, and her husband too at one point. Yep. Uh, who's to say that just because somebody saw Foster Al Planet or one of these other guys in in the in the neighborhood, or even going to see Laura? know was necessarily with some ill intent other than to buy or sell drugs right but if you can put them there you can put them there just like with trudy then you got them there and then you can decide with you know yeah at least least you've got something at least you've got something that that says okay well now that elevates them as a possible right exactly and because i agree we don't have anything um except for that one prior sighting of our planet and we don't have much on bryce either Except for that someone, no. you know, it was right. very thin with Bryce, too. So, And, and that, could, that could have been absolutely 100% true and accurate, and it could have been totally 100% bullshit. Right. You know, I mean, a guy could have seen something, but what he thought he saw may not have been Bryce. Exactly. Or Bryce's vehicle. Who knows? Yeah, um, it sounds like the Bryce situation was, it's possible, but we don't really have anything that yeah. suggests he and, for sure and was I there. Think, yeah. And I think that was the reason that they followed Bryce for, for a while as a suspect, and then eventually just sort of said, you know, we, there's just nothing. That we, you know, we just can't take this any further. Yeah, right? and I will, somebody comes forward. Yeah, and I will tell you this. When we got the um, Florida report, and there were like 200 pages worth of handwritten notes from the ISP, if it was Weiler, I'm not sure. It's whoever was following John Munden and doing interviews with him. Paul Weiler yeah. might have been him. I think there was a guy named um, Ron Bruce. And there was, yeah. A, yeah. yeah. So those were the guys writing the notes that I have. Okay, they're there with okay. with Munden. So um, in Munden, I'm sure has his own reports of the same thing that correspond with sure. the dates. Sure. All right. So I went and ma- I made a timeline of it. And for all of '82, pretty much they were running down the Atlantic Acres leads. All they were, he was working on it. John Munden yeah. was working on it. There's no question. They were, they were, you know. But and then, of course, he gets killed, and I'm sure that was a bad day for John Munden because all he wanted yeah. to do was talk to the guy, man. All he wanted to, do, and then he had no. There's not that that lead is done. He can't even question him now. Right. I, I plan right. if I don't know when he would have talked to him because he left town quickly. Now he may have before he left town. My I don't have proof of when he left town, but I think it was pretty quick. So I yeah. don't. It, it, my concern was always that he never got to speak with directly with either Acres or a plant at Planet. Well, he. he I, I'm just 99.9 percent sure he talked to Al Planet. And he may have, and then Al Planet must have yeah. might have left after that. I mean, he might have. Yeah. Because his I, I name. Mean, I, I can't swear it was you know within that first week or whether it was two months later. I mean, I I, I just my memory's not that clear from back then. I mean, as far as that exact detail. Yeah, I think but it was I, months before his name came into it. He spoke with him. Yeah. He, I know he went to Georgia and then he went to Florida, but I don't think Ed Planup's name came up 
like in the first few days. I think it was a little while. I know Winston Roberts said it, and I, I'd have to go back and look at the dates, but I know all of 82, they were looking at both of them. One, Ricky yeah. Acres was already yeah. dead in April of 92. So, I mean, 82. So they were they were looking at it. They were tracking, and Frost, it was all, they were going and questioning all their associates too, a parents, yeah. you know, all that. My, my recollection is not that when Acres was killed, that all of a sudden, oh well, well let's look at Trudy. Yeah, I, no, I no, I don't think it, so either. Uh, uh-uh. uh. I don't think it happened like that. Uh, I mean, no. they and they ran, like you said, they were they were investigating all those druggy guys. Yep. And I think we're never able to. It, you know, you follow leads on all kinds of shit, and sometimes they don't go anywhere. Whatever happened, if you believe, if you believe Trudy, uh, she was there in the house and didn't see or hear anything while all this shit was going on. Well, I don't think it happened in the house. I, she was pack, We know she was packing that car up. I believe she was outside. No, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just saying. You know, if you believe Trudy, no matter what happened, that everybody that was involved must have kept their voices down, even if they were outside. Yeah. Must have kept their voices down and, and had a silencer on their pistol and everything Well, what else, he said, he... didn't hear anything she said. Yeah, what he said, the pri- private eye, is he said he thought, he believed there had to have been two people to get her away from that house. And well, that was and his, the possible. indication. And that makes sense. And, you know, we know that Planet didn't have a vehicle of his own. So he would have had to be there if it was him with someone, you know. Yeah. He would yeah. have had to have been there with somebody. And well, and they could have, I mean, they could, have, they could have stumbled upon her loading the truck. Yeah. And, and snatched her or offered her drugs or God knows what, some enticement. Or she could, yeah, she could have gone with them willingly at the beginning. She could have. Yeah. And then, That's what, I mean, and then it, they started shaking again. It could have been either by force or it could have been... You know some other enticement yeah uh, yeah to get her to go with them but then you think about that and you think well so what's the point in just killing her if you're not going to rob the house well that the pi said take anything yeah exactly but the pi said that what the what information that he had was that she literally owed a drug dealer money he yeah. said it might have been those pills that are in the that were that were in the thing i did uncover i did find through the um report that she was making small deposits every few days leading up to her murder. I mean, when they took her. And she didn't have a job. So she was getting some income somewhere and, and putting it in. And he, he, he said his, um, that seems to be corroborated with him saying that they found out that she had um, been selling drugs. She had been, yeah. and, and so yeah. it's possible because she had a bag of pills. How big was the bag of pills, do you remember? Did it seem personal well, use or did it seem for sale? It, it, as I recall, it was a relatively small amount. I, to be honest with you, I hadn't thought about that in a long, long, long yeah. time. I mean, it's not like they said, "Oh my God, we found this," you know, gallon trash yeah, bag right, full, right. full of full of pills, uh, you know, or weed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, my recollection is, it would have been a dozen or less. Yeah, it says bag of pills, that's it. And maybe um, she had been selling them but not providing the money to the, you know. It does seem yeah, like she was selling. that's always possible. That's always possible. I, yeah. It just seems, I don't know. I mean, I don't, if, if, if that was the motive, which was just, of course, to kill her for whatever amount of money she owed. They said it wasn't kill. He said that they wanted to scare her to give the money that she owed. She got panicked and ran. They shot at her. Him or they shot at her, and then I guess at that point, 
you know, um, maybe well, they chased they her. Well, they shot at her and, and ended up taking her with them. They must have hit her. Oh, no, I mean shot at her while she was running and trying to jump over this fence is what he said. Well, I that understand, was his, but, I'm mm-hmm. saying, but I'm saying otherwise, yeah, I, I mean, I suppose she could have froze at that point and said, oh, God, yes, I'll go with you, whatever you... But it seems more logical to me if they were shooting at her only to scare her that if they didn't hit her, she would have kept going and she would have gone off into a cornfield or someplace. And that may be what happened. She kept going and they went after her, caught her, knocked her down, shot her three times in the head. Her arms were... uh, She wouldn't have... Where she was found was way too far from where they lived for her to be on foot. Oh, yes, I agree. I think they would have been driving. She may have jumped out of a car, for all we know, at that point. The only yeah. thing that makes me think it was that area is because he said jump to fence. There was a fence there. It may have been out in the booties. I don't know. You know, he even asked me, he said, I don't recall where she was found. What, was there a fence around there? I said, yeah. She, he said, well, I remember hearing she ran and jumped a fence, you know, so. and, and so, she. So they weren't saying that that occurred at her residence. Oh no, that happened elsewhere. They were saying elsewhere. that occurred somewhere. Yes. Else. Okay. He, the, yes, yes, there were fences. There were there was a fence to the south, and there was a fence to the east um, of that field, and there was a little driveway. Yeah. To the just adjacent to the east of the fence line that went up, ran north and south on the east edge of the field. Yeah. No, it sounded um, like what that shooting and all that occurred elsewhere. More likely okay. by the where she was found than where yeah. she was grabbed. Again, the, you know, I guess the thing that just sticks in my mind is where the hell he got that information. Exactly, exactly. You know, somewhere, if, unless it was just a total fabrication, somewhere somebody knew what happened. Yes, that's what I think. You know, if that's and, the case, that's what happened. Somebody knew, but whether they could actually prove it or get a first-hand account from whoever yeah. they were talking about is another matter. Because if it was Al Planep or Acres, they're not going to confess to doing it, you know. And he couldn't talk to Acres, yeah. so it would be Dave yeah. Al Planep, and he's not going to admit that he did it. Frost is clearly saying, giving a story now. Whether that's a story that you know, yeah, I have some information, but I didn't yeah. go there. Now he's distancing him. It, it did seem strange to me when I talked to him that he remembered the parts about what Dave Alplanet said to him about robbing it and asking him to. But all the stuff about him actually being at the scene, he said, yeah. I don't remember that. And I, <laughs> I, and it started to occur to me that all the stuff he and I even flat asked him once. I said. So you did drugs too, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, is it possible that you were high and that's why you don't remember these things? You know, he goes, well, it's possible. You know, he said, but I don't remember. He said, I'm standing, sitting here right now. I couldn't tell you where Laura Morris's house is. I don't know where it is. And that, you know what? That could be innocent. Can't remember. That could be, I don't want to, you know, I don't yeah. want to get caught up or in this. He could, or he, he legitimately could have been so stoned he doesn't remember. Exactly, exactly. You know, that's, that's always possible. I mean, those... Those folks are <laughs> not usually the most reliable individuals. Right, in and that's another thing that might have played into a problem. Whoever gave the private eye that information might not have been reliable. They could have been, uh, well, you know. That, and that's, I, I think, that's what I raised a minute ago. It was, unless you heard it from the source, then how many generations old is that story? Even yeah. if they were trying their best to relate exactly what they heard, who knows whether the person they got it from got it right. right. The thing that really made me sort of prick up my ears a little bit was him saying that they uncovered that Laura had um, been was in debt to a drug dealer, 
but that she had possibly been selling. And I had just the previous day found in the documents that I have those bank inf information that had been written down by the state police that she had been making these small deposits. She had no job, so she had yeah. to have been making money somewhere. It doesn't surprise me that she was um, no. selling no, pills here and there. Any other, so I yeah, don't think. yeah. But, um, but how much money could she possibly? She had about eight hundred to a thousand dollars in her account. How in debt could she have been to somebody that they would kill her over it? Like you know? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I just. Now I can see I could see a situation where someone, especially in those circles, would say they knew Laura because of their drug dealings with her, uh, one way or another, and either whether they were buying from her or selling to her. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, uh, we've been I've been over to her house, and and they live in a pretty nice place. And hell, I you know I'm a burglar by trade. And so, uh, man, we ought to break in there and, and uh, you know, rob her, uh, you know, rob the house, steal shit from the house. Maybe there's some money. Maybe there's some drugs. Maybe there's whatever. And deciding that they're going to go over there, not realizing that Trudy was home. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and, and burglarizing. And somebody gets stupid. And she, of course, she recognizes them because it's people she knew from the druggy business, and they panic, and somebody, you know, shoots her. Okay, but there was nothing taken. They exactly. They did not go in the house. And it doesn't appear to me that any shooting occurred in that house either, whether Trudy or anybody. No, no, I, no. I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody ever believed that she was killed in the house. Okay. How did they think Trudy killed her then? In the yard, in a fight. Outside, where neighbors could hear? Well, that's... Why do you think Trudy was checking her pistol? I thought she was checking it outside to see if she would have heard the perpetrator. In, yeah, I thought she was just guessing. Well, I don't know. Well, you, you can interpret it that way, but you can also interpret it as, well, was Trudy outside firing her own pistol to, and had somebody in her house um, listening... With, but but you can interpret as, well, she was checking to see if somebody in one of the neighboring houses would have heard her pistol shot. I, I don't know much about guns. Let me ask you this. The kind of gun that Trudy had, when she yeah. shot someone, would something, would a casing drop out of it right there? Uh, yeah, would have or should have. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a, leaning away from Trudy doing it, but that would certainly be a way to to leave some casings there. Yeah. Um, and know. now, of course, you know, if you're, if you're smart, why, you know, you pick up your brass. Yeah. You know, when you're... When, but that now, was found... not something she would have been apt to do at the time, but it very well could have been something her dad might have reminded her to do. Yeah, but there um, were casings found at the scene, so whoever did it, if it was Trudy, whoever did it didn't didn't pick up the casings because they were found. No, no, no. No, you're, I'm t we're talking about two different locations. Oh, you're, at the home, yeah. Gotcha. At the house is what I'm saying. Um, no, I think they. I think whoever shot her in the field either didn't care that the casings were found, right, or couldn't find them. Uh, you know, it was in a cornfield. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they couldn't find the casings. And they wanted to get or, out of there because they had just shot a bunch. Just of want, or they wanted to make it look like she was clearly killed there. And 
so they shoot her in the head where it'll show and leave the casings to be found. I mean, as evidence that that's where it occurred. You know, the uh, description of her, her arms crossed over her chest always felt more to me not like she was put there gently, but that she was cowering with her arms on her chest, you know, like with her head turned, like an eyes closed, like what you do if someone's standing over yeah. you with a bullet, you know, with a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that very well could be. Next, we're going to talk about Laura's ex-husband, Bryce. Given that spouses and exes provide us with the highest percentage of perpetrators, when we talk about violent crime. Munden cited two things related to Bryce as possible motives. First, he said sources had told him that Bryce Morris blamed Laura for the death of his brother, Robbie. I'm told by family that's not true. Bryce's mother, for one, says it's not true, according to Randy. An article in the newspaper with his obituary seems to touch upon some possible discrepancies. It noted that Robbie Morris, 17, died of massive head injuries at Elkhart General Hospital shortly after his Jeep skidded across the center line of US-20 near Elkhart into the path of another vehicle. He was actually thrown from his Jeep. The article says that he was on his way to school when the accident occurred, presumably indicating that it had happened in the morning. I'll start with this. I have no doubt that Bryce Morris was still grieving his brother when his ex-wife went missing the following year. That's a lot of emotional upheaval to be thrust into anyone's life. I also think it's likely that someone told Munden that story because how would he have even known Bryce had a brother who died in Elkhart if someone hadn't mentioned it? There are too many specific details for it to have been made up out of whole cloth. So someone told him that story. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. Bryce's mom told his daughter Brandy that it wasn't true, but I can also envision a scenario where she wouldn't want to admit to her granddaughter that her father blamed her mother for the death of his brother Robbie. I can even see how the information that the newspaper was provided about where Robbie was heading that day could have been incorrect. That information would likely have come from his family, and that's what his parents believed, but instead maybe he had been out all night. I don't know whether Robbie Morris was on his way to school or not, but I don't think it's important because the death of his brother a year earlier seems like a pretty flimsy motive for a murder that occurred over a year later. The other possible motive, according to John Munden, was that Laura wanted to get back with Bryce, yet he did not, and that came from Bryce himself. According to Brandy, though, Bryce told her something different over the years, that he and her mom were talking about getting back together. And other family members told me this as well. Again, I can see why he would say that. That's something that you would say to your kid when their mom ends up being murdered. Why would you compound the shittiness by adding, oh, and by the way, I didn't want her back anyway. Understanding that relationships are complicated and understanding that Laura apparently did want to go back to Goshen, she had called Bryce's mother, what they were and were not going to do regarding their relationship may have been in one of those states of flux. Who knows? But there was only one thing that John Munden could actually point to as possible circumstantial evidence in the case against Bryce. And that was this. A car allegedly matching the description of Bryce or his girlfriends at the time, seen by some individual on his way to work in the dawn hours, parked on some remote back road near the Snedeker house on Shadeland. A male loosely fitting Bryce's description was seen in that vehicle. 
Bryce was staying at the time in Goshen with his parents, so it was alleged that the almost three-hour drive to Greenfield was feasible. But I was also told that this vehicle matched a possible vehicle that both Dave Corbin and Dave Alplanet could have been driving or had access to on that same night. I don't think I have to tell you that that's not enough to hang your hat on, never mind a murder charge. Now on to Rick Akers and Dave Alplanip. And I generally treat them as a pair because Bobby Frost said that he thought they had done it together. There is also evidence that Dave Alplanip didn't have a car at the time. So if he was there that night, either someone had to bring him or he had to have someone else's car. And speaking of vehicles, the truck being packed outside the Shadeland home that night, after Danny said it was empty earlier that evening, is absolutely a clue. But by John Munden and Danny and Dave Scott, it's being offered as evidence that Laura got in a fight with Trudy, and the packing obviously means that she was planning to leave, so that must prove that she killed her. Well, it may point to a fight with Trudy, but not necessarily one that led to her death. Maybe they did argue, and then Trudy went to bed just like she said she did. And Laura was on the couch watching TV, but as soon as her mom fell asleep, Laura decided that was a good time to pack her shit and get the hell out of Dodge, before having to deal with Trudy in the morning. That could put Laura outside when the perpetrator or perpetrators rolled up, making it much easier to grab her, rather than having to get her out of the house. To me, the theory that the private investigator hired by Steve said he had landed on sounds like a realistic theory in this case. I read for you guys what Bobby Frost had said to police and then what he told me, so I don't think I have to spell it out for you other than to say that he clearly distanced himself from that house on Shadeland. He didn't remember much of what he had told police that actually involved him. All he remembered is being asked to rob the place with Dave Planet not actually going there. That's concerning. And here's another thing that concerns me. Remember when he said that Kenny Weber was the guy that he had heard took Dave Planet to the airport? I, I remember Bob Frost, um, and and I haven't heard that name Dave Planet for, oh, since probably 83 or something. I mean, from anybody, other than I kind of was curious where he was. I had been told that he was around the Atlanta area at one point in time that I'm not much on internet things and I'm not much on looking for anybody or, or anything like that um, the girl you mentioned I don't remember a girl I don't remember that um, the one thing I always thought about David Planet my wife at the time used to babysit for his, either his kids or his girlfriend's kids something like that Um, and then my second son was born March the 10th, 83. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, a few days, maybe a week later than that, my Camaro was stolen. I had a 73 Camaro that turned up missing and the key had been broke off in the ignition. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't shocked when it came up missing because I, I thought it was just, I hadn't took the time to took the key part out of the ignition I, and I was keeping the doors locked and you kind of had to shift it a certain way so I just didn't think anything about it but after that car turned up missing David Planoff turned up missing too and I never heard or seen from him again and he I believe owed my wife money at the time for babysitting or whatever 
and it just seemed odd to me that he disappeared and my car disappeared at about the same time. Uh, so I really always thought that he had either, he either set it up where see somebody took it or he took it that I did never know. But that's, I was thinking 83 is when I, I, I remembered him, then my car turned up missing and, and him turned up missing, I thought. And I don't think I'm wrong on my years there, but. Well, I'll tell you what he said and let me see if you can, and re, if you remember. When I spoke with him, what he recalled was that right afterwards, someone had given him a ride, David, to a bus station or uh, somewhere, and that he had left town right away. So you don't remember I, giving him I a ride? Never, I was never involved with that at all. Now, what, I mean, my car turned up missing almost the same, you know, because we were watching his kids. Right. Or my wife was. So, I mean, it was almost the same day, you know what I mean? So it seemed just too coincidental that he was not in some way maybe involved in that to me. But other than that, I don't know. Now, no, I don't ever remember taking him anywhere uh, because I went to work every day and come home and, you know, they brought their kids to our house and then picked them up but I never uh, I don't ever remember taking him anywhere really that I can remember so but it this to your recollection was right after you didn't remember you know anything about Laura Morris though you didn't know her I don't um, I remember there was a girl that like over in Waverly or something but she was like that uh, I don't know she was more my son's age and stuff and I don't know that it come up missing or disappeared or I don't think they ever did find that girl but that name didn't sound like the same name that what you were talking about there so other than that and I think that's a whole different time frame really but yeah I'm not it is sure about so Laura Morris went missing in 1981 it would have been August of 1981 do you think that's around the time when you think your car went missing no I think my car went missing my son was born March the 10th of 83, and mm. I brought him home from the hospital in that car. And about five days later than that is when my car and David Planet turned up missing. So you knew him, you, you immediately thought he had taken your car, so you must have known him as someone that would steal things, is that right? Well, he turned up missing the same day as my car did. And yeah, he was a shady character, you know what I mean? Mm. He was a shady character. Um, but you know, my I worked at a hotel and had two small boys. My second son was just born right then, and so my wife was making a little extra money by watching their kids or one or I don't remember if it was one or two. She would remember more than I would on that. But yeah, I mean, she parked the car out there one day, and I went in to get it. And the next morning it was gone, and I went back in. I said, "Where'd you park the car?" And, and she, I thought it's right there, and it, it wasn't there. And then that, they didn't show up with their kids that day either. We never seen or heard anything from him again after that. <gasps> did you have to? Did you ever file a police report? Oh yeah, I filed a police report, and oh. they told me that car will definitely turn up at some point in time. But I mean, you know, that was '83. It's been 30 years. I've never seen that car. I've never heard anything about it or anything either. So, and I mean, it was a it was a Camaro, but it was a little had a little six cylinder and stuff like that. But I painted it up, made it look like a Z28, put the stripes on it, and you know, it was a fancy looking car, but it was more or less a looking car. It wasn't a, it didn't have a big motor or nothing like that. What color was it? It was silver with black stripes, the black Z stripes, and had Z28 emblems on it and stuff. Did, did Dave know that the key was stuck in the car, in the ignition? Did he know what? Did he... Oh, I don't really know. Other than, you know, my wife could have mentioned it or something because it 
you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I considered, I, you don't really think friends would do that to you, you know what I mean? But then, then when he turned up missing, then my car turned up missing, it really made me, and I don't know, I don't know that I told the police that I thought, because that was the day that it turned up missing, you know what I mean? I don't know if I thought that at the time, because it, I really hadn't, it, it, you know, days later when I'd never seen or heard from him anymore, that really made him look suspicious. But at the time I did the police report and stuff, I didn't, I didn't really know what I told them on it. Yeah. So was she watching them literally every day up until that day? And then they... Oh, yeah, Monday through Friday, basically. Yeah. Um, and then they just, the next day when your car was gone, they didn't show up. Right. That does seem a little sketchy for sure. I don't think he probably had a driver's license. But I, I might be wrong. That was my thought, too, um, for some reason, whether he drank and had DUIs or he just didn't drive. And he was and that kind of answers a couple other questions, because I there was a, a, a guy spotted in the passenger seat with Laura, the girl that went missing um, a night before she went missing. And in most cases, it's the guy that's driving. And so what I thought, hmm, I wonder if that was him, because, you know, usually the guy's driving. It's not usually the girl that's driving, and she was driving her own car. And so, you know, when you said that about the key, where if it was shoved all the way down there that far in, it almost does seem like someone would need to know that in order to think they can take it without the key, right? I mean, Well, if once you got inside of it and turned them two little prongs that stick out and it turns, yeah, but, I mean, people's not going to know that, you know, and they right. also know to turn that thing to shift it. Um, because that was, I think it was kind of broke or it was just, it was a certain way you had to do that. And that made me in my mind think, well, as long as I keep the doors locked, I'll probably be all right. And you probably could drive it that way for years and been all right. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's just, yeah, if you let your friends know or let too many people know, then you can get in trouble on something like that. And I think that's ended up what happened. I want to talk about the private investigator's theory now. There are some things that I'm going to point to to support that theory. But I will say this. We are going by his memories all these years later, and basically all he said was that possibly two guys grabbed Laura that night, she did not go willingly, and at some point, Laura made a run for it and had hopped a fence and was being shot at. He believed this was due to Laura owing money related to drugs. If the PI concentrated his efforts on that friend group, as he seems to have done, what he likely got was a second-hand story. I don't believe he got any of this from Acres or a Planet because I don't think either one of them were in town at the time. Neither of them were hanging around. Both of them were actively evading police, and that is already a red flag. What he likely got was information that either or both of these guys blabbed to other people, and they related to him. It's also possible that someone else was with the two of them on the night in question, and they are the source of the information that got spread around. Here are a few things I was able to glean from the reports and notes that I have that support that theory. There was some evidence in the police reports that suggest Laura very well might have been selling drugs. Probably those caffeine or amphetamine pills that Bobby Frost mentioned. Police found a bag of them in her purse, which was left at the Shadeland home. Handwritten notes in the police report show very small deposits to her bank account made in the month leading up to her going missing. $50 one day, 40 the next, the largest being $80 and the smallest was around 20 But there were no withdrawals, and the balance was a little over $1,000. Now, Laura had no job and no income that we know of, so based on these deposits, it is possible that she was doing some very low-level selling, certainly nothing big with the amounts that she was depositing. Another thing that struck me 
about the P.I. story is when he said that he seemed to recall that Laura may have jumped a fence somewhere that night, and there were holes and tears in Laura's shirt when she was found. Those holes and tears did not correspond to any injuries. Again, here's how they're described in the police report. Two holes in the front, slightly to the left, which vary from a quarter to a half inch, and two linear tears in the back, which vary from one to one and a half inches, and slightly to the right and in the center portion of the shirt. Police felt confident that her body had not been disturbed by the tractor equipment during the corn harvesting. So how did those holes get there? Something happened to her that night, or at least to her shirt, to cause those holes and tears. To me, this tends to indicate some kind of struggle or something going on. And it also seems to conflict with any idea that Trudy may have changed her clothes after attacking her in some way, because in that case you'd expect the clothing to not have holes and tears. So if we look at the theory that the private investigator had regarding conclusions that he made, he said it was his recollection that the story was that Laura had made a run for it and jumped a fence, possibly when being shot at. It's possible she was shot at, and in the process of Laura jumping the fence, her shirt got torn. If that occurred, and I want to be clear, we're not even sure this happened, and if it did happen, it happened in the same area where her body was found. But let's say that it did. I went back to view the images of the Shelby County cornfield where Laura Morris's body was found. There's one shot of a body bag being lifted over the fence by the coroner and three members of law enforcement. The fence comes to about the height of their chests. It's wire and made up of squares rather than the chain link type. People familiar with farms and fields know the kind I mean. Long sheets of strong wire fencing attached to metal or wood poles every 12 feet or so. One could certainly climb it, but if you did, I would expect torn clothing because there is a single barbed wire running across the top of the fence at chest level, at least the part of the fence that's in the picture. If Laura Morris had tried to hop that fence that night in August of 1981, she may have snagged the front of her shirt and possibly the back going down the other side. I was struck, as you guys probably heard during the call, by the private investigator saying that the Snedekers were upset when he told them what he had learned regarding Laura using and possibly selling drugs. From the very beginning, it didn't make sense to me that Trudy had killed her daughter, just based on the facts that I knew. But I also had a pretty strong instinct that all the lying that the Snedegers did, all the redirection, all the missing men, all of that got in the way of the truth. It muddied the waters, distracted investigators, and in the end, I believe that's the reason Laura Morris never got justice. Don't get me wrong, I think John Munden is equally culpable because he allowed himself to be distracted but I can see how he did. I mean, picture it. You're investigating one murder and then people related to the victim start going missing and the victim's family are acting shady as hell. That's going to have you looking in their direction and any good investigator would. You cannot ignore that shit. I just think John Munden got mired too deeply in it. I truly believe Munden getting distracted wasn't intentional. Just like all those missing men, I think John Munden got snedigered. In the end, Steve and Trudy are still the reason this case didn't get solved. If there were no missing men to distract police, 
if they hadn't been actively trying to hide their own criminal lifestyle choices. If Steve wasn't saying things like, What do you think? Would they find a body if you dumped it out of a plane over the Gulf of Mexico? If none of that would have happened, and investigators had been left to simply look at the facts around Laura Morris going missing, without Steve and Trudy muddying the waters, I wouldn't be telling you Laura's story today. We talk a lot about how cops screw up, how cases don't get solved because of it, and how the system doesn't work. But time and again, I show you a case where if the people involved had been honest, those screw-ups might not have occurred. All of us play a part. Witnesses who don't come forward, people who don't share what they know, people who lie, misrepresent, or just don't want to get involved. All of that is a part of why cases don't get solved. We can't put it all on police because they can't make the right people talk. They can only hope that we do. Dominoes. This story began with that visual of dominoes going down one after another, each affecting the next and the next and the next. I'm one of those dominoes. During the course of what I do, which by the way is not solving cases, I can't do that. I'm not a cop. But I can tell stories. I can gather facts. I can talk to people. I can find out what I can. And I can try to tell the story of a victim in a way that respects their humanity while being honest. Laura Morris was at a difficult period in her life. She was in flux. She had divorced a man that she clearly loved but could not live with. She was staying in the home of her parents, and it was probably going to be sold soon. She would have to find somewhere else to live. She didn't have a job. But you know what she did have? She had dreams. She wanted to open up a game room at the local mall and run it. She was enrolled in school, actively bettering herself, while in the midst of this emotional upheaval and trying to raise a small child. Laura Morris was trying. She wasn't sitting back and letting life happen to her. Nobody can take that from her, the fact that she was trying. And she was living. Meeting new people, opening herself up to new experiences... Laurelyn Morris was doing exactly what most of us were doing at 22 years old. She was taking in the world with each deep gulping breath, hoping for better things to come and trying to enjoy the moment. And the fact that she did drugs, while it's important to our understanding of what may have happened to her that night, it's not relevant to the person that she was or the person that she wanted to be. And it certainly didn't define her. Just like Darlene Messer and Rick Atwood and Rachel Timmerman and any number of victims whose cases I covered, they're having done drugs or made choices that you or I might not agree with. None of that defined them, and it sure wasn't a reason for them to be murdered. It simply made them more vulnerable to the type of outside influences that would do them harm. While I prepared this podcast, I spoke at length to Laura's daughter, Brandy. It's been a difficult process for her. She's got a lot of feelings about this case and about the people involved, including family and law enforcement. She doesn't trust them or really anyone. And why the hell would she? She's lived an entire life without her mom, and nobody has given her 
a single goddamn piece of factual information that tells her what she most wants to know. Why? For the most part, even her family hasn't been honest with her. And her life has not been easy. Brandy is understandably defensive about her grandmother in particular, because her memories of Trudy are fond ones. The Snedegers felt like the only safe place. You need to know that. That one hit me in the gut when I read it, late one night, by text message. I had been relaying information to her as I learned things, in the direct manner that I am accustomed to. While I'm always careful about how I interact with victims, I'm also very upfront, and I try not to sugarcoat anything because I don't think that's helpful, particularly for people who have not been getting honest answers from family or law enforcement up to that point. I try to be realistic about what I can and cannot do to help them, and I share information in the hopes that at least the facts will provide some measure of comfort. But it is hard to share facts that make the person you're sharing them with feel like crap. And that's what I was doing to Brandy every time I shared something with her, like the entire Laura Morris study group agreed that Trudy killed Laura, or things like how her grandparents were not great people, and they lied a lot. They hurt people. I had over 700 pages of information, and I doubt much of it was any comfort to her. I ran across this quote in Finding Meaning, The Sixth State of Grief. Each person's grief is as unique as their fingerprint, but what everyone has in common is that no matter how they grieve, they share a need for their grief to be witnessed. That doesn't mean needing someone to try to lessen it or reframe it for them. The need is for someone to be fully present to the magnitude of their loss without trying to point out the silver lining. That's something that all of us, including myself, need to be mindful of when we are pushing the bruises of people with histories of trauma and abuse. While I'm sharing facts, they're sharing emotions. While I'm looking for the truth, they just want to know why. And while I will finish this case and move on to the next, they will be forever left standing in the center of their trauma. Your mom can't say it to you, so I'll say it in her stead. Because you deserve to hear it, even if it's not from the people that you most want to hear it from. Brandy, I am proud of you. You're a good person, and you deserve better than you got. And I am so sorry for that. Brandy and I had a meeting with an Indiana State Police detective who took the time to tell us what he could about Laura's case. He did the one thing that I did not expect going into that Zoom meeting, but I will be forever grateful for. Essentially, he told Brandy that based on the information that he had, he did not believe her grandmother killed her mother. He does not believe that Trudy Snedeker is the perpetrator in this case. And boy, was that a good day. He also said that he would take another look at the case, send some items in for retesting if he could, and see if there was a way to get Brandy some more answers. I know that there are a handful of people out there who could, if they wanted to, help Brandy understand what happened to her mother. 
She wants to know, and she deserves at least that. If you're one of those people who could shine some light into the darkness for her, private message me on the Down and Away Facebook page or my personal Facebook page, Jenny Decker, that's me, or you can email me at deckerjenny at gmail.com. That's D-E-C-K-E-R-J-E-N-I at gmail.com. I also have a Down and Away Twitter page, and you can message me there. I will happily get you in touch with Brandy. From what I know about this case, it is unlikely that its resolution will end inside a courtroom. I think the best that we can hope for are some answers. So please don't let her spend the rest of her life wondering. She wants the answers, no matter what they are. Thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate you and your patience. I know there's a gap between seasons as I take the time I need to prepare each one for production. But it's just me, one gal, doing it all, and it takes a lot of time to put together. And as always, you'll hear me next season. Bye. From the album Spectacular by Color. I want you to